Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 89. This week, we talk with Alan Underwood about developer tools, patterns, and podcasting. Ditching Scrum for Kanban. And Jason picked up the wrong router. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Infragistics. Their developer toolkits provide world-class controls targeting Windows, Web, iOS, Android, Xamarin Forms, and more. Whether you're an individual developer or part of an enterprise team, they have something for you. Check out the latest today at infragistics.com. This week we have Alan Underwood. He's a developer, serial entrepreneur, podcaster, doer, and family man. How's it going, Alan? Doing well yourselves. Oh, I'm doing really good. It's a pleasure having you on here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Carl, what's going on? Uh, apparently I'm on YouTube now. Oh, you're, you're famous. Uh, I wouldn't say that, but <laughs> you know, I, you know, it, it's kind of amazing, you know, like, you know, I've done public speaking for quite a while. I've done, you know, podcasts and stuff, but I don't think there's ever been video of me online Yeah. until now. So, uh, yeah, for in December, I mentioned that I was going to be doing a road show, a, a few different cities talking about, uh, coding for continuum and, uh, universal applications. And, uh, that got recorded and is up on, uh, my company's YouTube account. So there'll be a link to that in the show notes for anybody who's interested in that. Yeah. Having my presentations recorded just absolutely terrifies me. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, I don't know. I, somehow, somehow I just barely scrape by and I'm able to get through a presentation. So, um, I don't know if I'd ever want to relive one of them. I, d- I don't know how terrible they are from the audience point of view. And I don't want to find out, frankly. <laughs> uh, so you, you've actually talked quite a bit this week, Jason, about a treadmill desk and you haven't actually told me anything about that in particular. Yeah, so, I, I so what's up with that? I haven't. So, you know, I've always looked at like standing desks, like, you know, our friend Brandon, he's got a standing desk and, um, you know, a while back I looked at buying a, an air on chair. Like I've looked at all different options cause I had just a really, really crummy chair and I ended up buying a, a ball to sit on instead of a chair just cause the ball was $30 and the air on chair was 800. And <laughs> from what I could tell online, they were, you know, basically had the same effect. Um, you know, they were about just like equal healthiness for you versus sitting in a, in a crummy chair. Um, so I've done that for a while, but still, I mean, you're just, you're still sitting all day and it's like, I just, I somehow I need to be moving around a little bit. Um, so I, you know, I saw, I saw a few more developers getting on this, uh, treadmill desk bandwagon and I just went out there and read some blog posts on it. And somebody was out there, one of the ones that I I saw, they, they were talking about a a particular model. And honestly, I can't remember which model is well to include it in the show notes, the exact model. Cause there's a, there's an Amazon link. I think it's like a $1,300 treadmill desk. You know, it's got, it's got the whole thing. You buy this and it's got everything you need. But, um, one of the blog posts said that, they bought theirs off of Craigslist. And, you know, the area that we live in is not, you know, we're not in like some, you know, we're not in Chicago or anything like that. So our, our Craigslist is, is a little more sparse than any other Craigslist out there. Um, or, or, you know, like Atlanta, you know, obviously they'd have a probably, it's probably crazy. Like the stuff probably scrolls like crazy past you. Um, so I was like, oh, well that's not really an option, but I decided to go out there on Craigslist anyway. And, uh, sure enough, I found one that was, you know, almost like brand new out there. And, um, it was still pretty pricey, but 
I called him. I said, look, I usually buy this stuff new, but, um, you know, if you can give me a really good deal. So we, we, you know, negotiated a little bit and, and I ended up, you know, knew it's about 1300 bucks. I got it for seven fifty, and, um, I've even, I even brought it home. I took the panel off of it to look at the, the guts of it. And it's, you know, the thing is basically brand new. Um, so if you're in the market for a used one, you might be able to pick one up for that much, but uh, I've had it for a few days and, and I don't know, I do a lot of walking. So it, this thing's been a piece of cake for me. Um, I've just been trying to do like one or two hours a day on, on days that I'm, I don't expect to be too active and, uh, just been starting really small and just, you know, there's like nothing to it. So if you're thinking about doing this, it, it seems worthwhile. And if you have the space for one of these things, I put it down in the basement, so, you know, I have to walk downstairs and, and get on it. But, um, I don't know it, it you, you can, for me, I, it, I can pretty much do it without even thinking about it. And I'm still able to get work done while I'm down there. So I don't know. You have any questions on it? So is this always a stand-up desk then, I guess? I mean, it would have to be, right? Like yeah. No- yeah. There's uh so there's, there are, ma- the, basically it's kind of funny because it, it's the, the model that I have is a treadmill plus uh, basically a stand-up desk. Um, they, they, you know, it sort of locks into position on the thing, but what was funny is when I went to pick it up, the guy, I, I didn't really understand the the backstory. I think it was some kind of injury or something that he was using it temporarily. He bought it like three years ago and, uh, he wasn't even using it, but he was using the desk as a standup <laughs> desk. So you can certainly like just use this thing as a standup desk as well, but it's a manual adjustment and it's, you know, kind of a pain, but it's a really big desk. I mean, you could fit, you know, multiple gigantic monitors on it or, or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just a combination of those two things. And I had neither piece. So being able to buy those two things together was, was perfect. And, you know, these treadmill desks too, they, you know, they're not for running on or anything like the max speed is four miles per hour. I found, I played around at the speed a little bit. The perfect speed for me seems to be 1.6. And now I went back and read some of the blog posts and sure enough, people were talking about their speed and that seems to be about the average, but you know, like this morning I walked in for an hour and I didn't even like, you know, I was working on stuff. I didn't even think about it. Like the time just flew by, I looked down and I want to say it was like 4,000 steps or something or 3000 steps, you know, just like that. That's so, really cool. Yeah, I, so I have a stand-up that uh, I built. I bought the legs for. It's the Uplift 900, yeah. and I love it. But I've been thinking about trying to get like a treadmill portion to it for that because I mean I, I don't get yep. any you can exercise. buy those you can buy those separately. That's that's just like the treadmill piece, and then the little display is like wireless, so you could actually just sit that on your existing desk. So yeah, you can you can piece it together like that, no problem. That's that'd cool. be pretty cool. Yeah, and I'm all for you know the thing for me like I, I I'm pretty obsessive about productivity. And I'm always trying to figure out how to do two things at one time. Like I'm trying to find like the perfect combination. Like when I'm in the car, like I usually don't listen to any music. Like I'm listening to podcasts and, um, you know, whenever I'm working, it's like, Hey, can I be doing something else? Like I've, one thing I found is like when I'm on conference calls, I found, you know, I, I always scan in like all the, the mail that I get, like, you know, like all these, these, uh, you know, health bills and stuff like that. I sit there and I scan them in and I can do that without even really thinking about it. Um, so I'm always looking for more things like that. And walking is another one of those things. Like you could sit there, you could definitely do a conference call while sitting there walking. So yeah, you can just be, uh, you know, double my productivity without doubling the amount of time it takes. And that that's what this does. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's really cool. Uh, okay. Moving on, Carl, who is our Infragistics ultimate winner of the week? This week, like you promised last week, Jason, we picked it off of iTunes. Yep. Uh, uh, somebody had a great comment. For, uh, his name was Mad Ghoul. 
Yep. And uh, he said, great podcast for expanding your tool set. Uh, two tech guys and a guard dog discuss Microsoft and industry technology. <laughs> Their episode on TypeScript convinced me that it was the way to go for my front end needs, and I haven't looked back since. Well, yeah. that's awesome. And maybe another thing to help you get going is you won the Infragistics Ultimate License of the Week. Mm-hmm. And if you, like Mad Ghoul, want to be entered to win, just leave us a piece of feedback uh, anywhere where we can receive feedback, either at feedback at msdevshow.com. Facebook on or at Facebook on iTunes, Stitcher, and like him, he left us a five star iTunes review. Thank you very much. Yeah, that really helps us. And I this was just an amazing comment for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's really good at following directions. We said <laughs> please, <laughs> we said we were going to be picking from from iTunes, and that's what we did. And and listen, like only two people left an iTunes review this week, so you you had a fifty fifty you shot. had a fifty fifty chance this week of of winning, which is which is pretty amazing. So definitely uh, follow our directions. Um, that, that really helps. And the other thing is talking about the guard dog. Cause we get, I actually get a lot of comments on that. Cause my, you know, we have, we have two dogs. I'm not going to spend much time on this. We have two dogs. They're, they're both the exact same breed from the same place. One is like quiet and is just like the greatest dog ever. And our other one is just nuts and just won't shut up at every, you know, like if, if I were to like drop something right now, she actually, I gotta be quiet. Cause she'll probably start barking at that. <laughs> so I apologize for the, the, the barking dog in the, in the episodes. Uh, our listeners are probably listened to it or are probably used to it now. So yeah, that's, that's our, that's our podcast guard dog. We'll, we'll call it. And then the other part here is just, um, the fact that he's using, uh, TypeScript. That's, uh, that's really cool. I'm glad that, you know, you're trying out a new technology like that because TypeScript is amazing. So very cool. Alan, have you ever tried TypeScript? I have. I really like it. It's Mm -hmm. one of those things. I think uh, Carl and I had a sidebar conversation on this the other day. I'm a fan of it. The only thing I don't like about it is if you go look at their doc page, like the scroll Mm -hmm. bars, you know, like one millimeter tall. And so (laughs) there's a ton of documentation. And so where JavaScript's a fairly easy to pick up type thing, you know, TypeScript is more like a full typed language. And so there's a lot of, of learning to be done there, but that kind of side, you know, puts to the side, the fact that you get compile time, you know, checks and, and that kind yeah. of, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that it does for you and it's, it's an amazing tool. And there's a reason why Angular 2 chose to go that route when they, yep. when they built with it. So yeah, I, I really do like it. Very cool. Okay. So let's jump into the news. I don't think I've read any of these, Carl, so I apologize. What do we got Par for the course. (laughs) Yeah, par for the course. Ditching Scrum for Kanban, the best decision we've ever made as a team. Yeah, this is an excellent article. This guy documented his team's kind of, you know, fall into Scrum and out of Scrum. And kind of essentially what he said is, you know, like, I'm not rigging on Scrum. Scrum is a great process. But for him, what he noticed is after a while, after doing it for, you know, a bunch of time, I think in this case, it was like a year or maybe a little bit longer. He realized that, you know, like, hey, you know, his his team was just following it to the letter and, you know, they got a lot of the benefits out of it, especially coming from an unstructured practice, but they were just like miserable doing it, Uh, especially around estimating and hitting your estimates and stuff like that. Um and he said he went to, uh, he was a CTO and he went to this like CTO group. I can't remember exactly what it was mm-hmm. uh, called, but uh, the guy who ran it recommended, you know, hey, we're not saying get rid of everything you've learned, but maybe you've, you know, there's a step beyond Scrum. Um, and what they've done is they kind of moved to a Kanban style. So instead of like, you know, they still have their standups, they still have these other things, but instead of having like the super strict deadlines, they still have deadlines, but, um, they do a Kanban approach. So you just finish something. You don't feel bad if you've missed it by 20% or, or whatever. And he said, you know, it wasn't a huge change. It's actually not far from scrum. 
But, you know, using that different approach really helped them evolve and really raised the team's morale. Well, and Carl, at our last job, I mean, we were we were practicing Scrum. And it was interesting because, yeah, toward the end of the Scrum, there were, there were actually times, too, when it's like, well, we're out of work. Like, give us some more. And it's like, well, okay, what does that mean? Like, should you just go home or should we give you something <laughs> else? Like, like, and by what does that mean? It's really like, what does it mean? Does, is that, is that a good thing? I mean, are we, are we, are we good at getting things done or are we bad at predicting what we're going to get done? So, you know, I, I had always looked at the, the Kanban side of things and, and said, you know, why don't we get rid of these sprints? And, you know, we, I don't think we, we ever tried it, but yeah, I mean, the, the two week things I think are sort of artificial, um, maybe the whole idea is to like, you know, have like easy obtainable goals, but the, the individual task could be that as well. So it's interesting, you know, hearing, a um, success story like this. Yeah. I actually use Kanban as well. And okay. I'd, I'd done sprints at a previous place and I found that the estimate, the estimations were almost always off. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like you said, you get done with something too fast. Oh, well, we must've made a mistake. Or if you get, or if it takes too long, then, oh, we must've made another mistake. The Kanbans at least line things up. You could prioritize them well. And then that way you're constantly iterating towards something, right? So instead of some artificial deadline like a sprint, you actually have things like you said. You, you got it done. Hey, let's release this. You know, let's let's continually do this. Yeah. So it, it is a nice process. Yeah, definitely. And and if you can get to the point too where, yeah, your check-ins actually relate to um, releasing um, on a regular basis, that's that's pretty incredible too. Uh, okay, what do we got next? The 110 most useful URLs for Kindle owners. Let's go through all of these, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 we, we both have Kindles. I, I have the Paperwhite. I don't know which one you have. I got, but I got, I, I'm cheaper than you, Carl. I, I don't make the big bucks <laughs> like you. And I'm really ticked off because something fell on mine, and I have this like, it, it, it would, it would almost be better if the thing was completely shattered. Uh, it's got this, this, this like scratch on it that is so small. That it's like, it's just the right size to be really annoying. <laughs> so it's kind of frustrating. Well, Go ahead. Well, anyways, we, we both really like our Kindles and, yeah. and that's the point. And here's a link of just tons of things that links that are making more useful. Uh, there's, you know, it has links towards a hundred uh, best-selling Kindle books and it's updated every hour. So that's something that you could come back to on a frequent basis and constantly, you know, see what not just paid books, but it has free books there as well. Um, there's, there's a comics newsletter. Um, they have links for your Kindle to see the most hilarious Amazon reviews. And, uh, you know, some of them were, were really awesome. Uh, there was one about, you know, those horse head memes that, that are going around <laughs> there. There was one for one of those masks. It said it didn't fit my horse very well. <laughs> it was really hard for him to breathe while wearing it. I'm really confused because the one, first URL is a hundred free Kindle books. And I go to it and they're not free, but then I go to it and it says they're free with Kindle Unlimited. No, no, uh, no, 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 no. There, there's there's a little tab on top. You're on the 100 paid. Yeah. Click the other tab. It okay. says on there that they're both. There's a 100 paid and 100 Ah, top paid. 100 free. Okay, okay. Boom. Yeah. Look at that. The Delphi agenda. Is that a programming thing? <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. Old school. <laughs> the awakening murder. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, I, Anyways, without going through all of these, Jason, oh, okay. I, th- I think uh, if you have a, a Kindle out there, uh, this is definitely worth checking out. Number 16 is not appropriate for the show. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, any Anything else you want to say about that one, Carl? No, just like I said, check it out if you have a Kindle. I am, that is, I'm going to check that out. That's pretty cool. Okay. App Stretch. 
All right. So uh, if you remember, Jason, when we were at that conference, we talked to Alan Mendelovich yep. from Ad Duplex. Yeah, good guy. Well, he, he actually started something new. Uh, I don't think it's fully out there and operational, but you can sign up to get part of that early access. And it's this thing called AppStretch at AppStretch.com. Mm-hmm. And what this is, is let's just say you're an app developer and you, you really want to add this feature and you know that if you monetize it with an in-app purchase, let's say it's 99 cents or whatever, you're not going to recoup your money. Mm-hmm. But you know that you might have like a really subset diehard, you know, set of listener of users mm-hmm. that might pay, you know, you know, three ninety nine for it. Yeah. What you can use is you can use this platform here as kind of a Kickstarter to you know fund the development of you know whatever feature this is. Without having to put that burden across maybe all of your users, which most of them don't care. So would you basically put in the prices of different features then? Uh, You know what? I don't know exactly how this is because this just came out and it's not entirely public right now. Okay. But it... This just sounds like a really good idea. That would be pretty cool to just say like, hey, I need a hundred bucks for this to happen. Oh yeah, right here. Um, Pay $50. I have a feature, support feature development. Okay. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And you know what? A lot of times, you know, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, I mean, those are for bigger, more general things. You're, you're going to find it hard to, you know, you know, you know, add, you know, bold, bolding to Jason's awesome app or whatever. Yeah. But if like Bill Gates really, really wants like, you know. Yeah. You know, he could, he could chip in, you know, a hundred bucks for you to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it, is it worth his time to like, you know, go through the process of, you know, with just that few of zeros? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, CPUs are no longer faster than IO. Yeah. I, I just thought that was, uh, kind of a, uh, interesting statement here that provocative. That yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's always just been kind of assumed that IO is slow right. and computation is fast. And, you know, I, I don't know how often that really gets evaluated. Yeah. And, uh, a, you know, I read this a, a couple of weeks ago, so you know, I'm sorry for not, you know, doing my homework a little bit better during the show, but I, you know, I think the statement that they're saying is, Hey, this is no longer true. You know, I O with, you know, how fast we can move things across the internet, how fast we can move things between SSD and, and, you know, and your CPU, you can actually get the data there just as fast as you could process it now. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to tie in, uh, something from the coding blocks podcast, which is uh really podcast. Yep. That Alan never heard Hollywood of them. It is uh, co-hosting. Yeah. You've never heard of it, but it, it's there. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> no. So, um, they had, they, I, and I, I don't, I don't remember if this was you specifically, Alan, but you guys were talking about, um, SSD drives and, and, you know, there's, there's times when, whenever I listen to podcasts, I'm always, um, shouting or, or calmly, um, you know, trying to like speak to the podcast and you get, you guys never hear me, uh, <laughs> for whatever reason must be the delay. Um, so you guys were talking about the, the Samsung like 850 drives and you guys were talking about the, the Evo drive. So I guess my, my comment, and then, and then I'll, I'll talk about something I learned about your, from your podcast. But my comment was I would probably skip the Evo drives. My recommendation is to go straight for the pro drives. They cost a little bit more, but like everybody that listens to the show, I would think is probably like using their computer eight hours a day, 
for professional purposes. And it's kind of like, you know, you should have a good mattress because you have to sleep in it eight hours. And, you know, we we're talking about the chair, like you should have a good chair because you have to sit in eight hours. Well, guess what? You're using your SSD for eight hours. So spend the extra 75 bucks and get the, get the pro version of that. That's what I went ahead and did. If you get better performance and you get bumps up to a 10 year warranty. And the thing is rated to like rewrite the drive like 10 times a day uh, for like 10 years. It's just kind of ridiculous. So do yourself a favor and do that. It could save you a lot of time. Uh, But then you guys had mentioned something I'd never heard of, which is these NVMe drives, which um, I don't really understand what the interface is, but it's like insanely, ridiculously fast. Uh, 2,500 megabytes per second read and like 1,500 write. But you have to be careful. So here's the interesting thing with NVMe. Teach me. If you take a look at the newer motherboards, they have these NVMe slots on them. They look like memory slots almost, except they're shorter. But here's the thing. There's a lot of NVMe drives out there, but it works for two different specs. So there's a SATA spec, which is bound by your SATA 6 or your SATA 3 connection. So a 6 gig, you know, I.O bound on that but then there's the pci4 version of those things which is what the new samsung's are so if you were to get an nvme that is using the sata you're still only going to get that 500 meg read and you know up to 500 meg write which is what your pro i can't deal with something that's low man right right (laughs) it's kind of ridiculous that we're that we're talking about it like you know it's yesterday's news but the the pci4 ones that's where you get the 2500 read and over 2000 write for these things but what's even crazier is you can so like a new motherboard i just picked up i just rebuilt my wife's computer <laughs> because she's the gamer on the pc I, okay. I don't do pc gaming you can raid these things there's somebody <laughs> that's actually taken two of these and raided them on on one like of the extreme hero. boards it was getting 40 uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was somewhere along the lines of 4,300 read and over 3,000 write. Well, now, and, and and you realize, like, you guys might not know this, but there's a, you know, there's 1024 megabytes and a gigabyte. Okay. <laughs> so, so the numbers we're talking about here are gigabytes per second. Yeah. They're insane. Just they said that they copied like a 25 gig file in like 18 seconds. Yeah. Like it's pretty sick, <laughs> but here, here's the thing. So for people like us who are doing programming and that kind of thing, it probably doesn't matter that much. Yeah. But for people doing video editing to where they're trying to move things off of, you know, a camera and trying to get it onto disc or multiple discs so that they can start working on these things, it starts mattering. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and to your comment about the pro SSD, the only reason I didn't get the pro was because they didn't have a terabyte version. So, uh, so I put the 850 Evo in my laptop, my MacBook. Okay. You're, you're yeah. pardoned. Yeah, and that's really what it boiled down to is I wanted the storage space, and they yeah. finally got to prices that weren't, you know, like, oh, my God, cut off my left arm type thing. Yeah. And so that's really the only reason I didn't go with the Pro on those. Okay, that, that's valid because I, I bought the the half terabyte, and I bought it. I don't know when I bought it. It was like, a, I don't know, a year ago maybe, maybe a year and a half ago. And it was, you know, I think I paid like three fifty, three eighty four. I think they're like half of that now. Right. Um, so the 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 differential, you know, percentage wise is bigger, I think, but the but actual dollar wise is, you know, like seventy five bucks. You know, it's less than a hundred dollar difference. So it's like, man, you know, this is not a time to go cheap. Um, but yeah, if you need a terabyte, then you probably have to go Evo. So they don't, they still don't have a terabyte pro. Not that I've seen. So, I mean, and the only reason I went terabyte is because I do video editing as well. And I mean, that stuff eats up a lot of space. But yeah, if I could have gotten a terabyte uh, pro version of that, I totally would have done that. But they just didn't have them. Yeah. If you're doing video editing, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, this article I think is probably, I think it's talking about the, the data center and some other scenarios, but man, if you're doing video editing and you have, 
you know, let's say eight logical cores in your machine, maybe even 12. I mean, there's, there's like some hexacore machines. Uh, so you'd have, you know, really 12 logical cores in your machine and you have that SSD. Yeah. That processor probably is going to be like waiting or it's going to, it's going to be, you know, a non-issue. Like it, there's really no reason for that speed. So, so it's very interesting. Hey, one thing you guys remember the days when like the way to speed up your computer was to get more memory. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you really, honestly, if you change out your spinning drive to an SSD, you probably never even experienced that kind of bump in performance. So people that are still mm-hmm. working with the 7,200 RPMs. If you jump to an SSD, it's a world of difference. Yeah. I, I, I would hope our listeners are past that if they're not, Oh my God, come on, do it. (laughs) (laughs) If you have to like, you know, I don't know if you have to do bad things just to get the money to do that, it's worth it. (laughs) Uh, Let's put it this way. At, at, at my last company, we had, I don't, we had like 280 employees. I think we had, you know, 250, 300 PC, something like that. And what we ended up doing, they were all, uh, I think like core two duo class machines. And obviously this was a couple of years ago. So that was a little bit more modern, but these machines were, were basically, let's say three, four years old. What we ended up doing was we would, we would, you know, take one from a user, we'd swap out the spinning disc for an SSD. And then we would, we basically rotate through and we'd give, we'd reinstall everything. So it's like, it's like, okay, you're getting windows seven instead of XP, you know, with all the latest stuff and you're getting an SSD. We give it to him. We say, here's a brand new computer. And everybody was just like, wow, this new computer is just amazing. And we actually, you know, we basically skipped an upgrade cycle because of that. Like it was as good as buying everybody a brand new PC. That's how big of a deal it is. Absolutely. Hopefully we're wasting our time even saying this. (laughs) Uh, okay. Should we get to, uh, let's, let's ask Alan some questions here. So like I mentioned before, uh, I guess we didn't put it in your intro, but yeah, your co-host of the, the coding blocks podcast, which I can't recommend enough, especially if you want to get more into like the lower level, uh, programming topics, that's where you want to go. I mean, Carl and I can only, only go so deep. You know, we tend to, we tend to cover like a more breadth of, of technology. So if you want to go deeper, definitely give these guys a listen and we'll have a link in the show notes. Otherwise just search for coding blocks. It comes right up. Appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, you're co-host of that. Uh, what, what is the, you know, do you want to, what in your own words, what is the podcast about? So basically what you said, like when, when we all got together, we all worked at a company and we all listen to podcasts like you do. We're trying to multitask. Yeah. Right? And the thing was, is, you know, there's a lot of big name podcasts out there that are, you know, technology or software centric, but they never went deep on the, on the subjects. And we were like, yep. wait a second. You know, there's there's a certain level where people, maybe they're stuck in a career where they're doing the same type menial tasks and programming, and they want to know more. And they want to be able to find out more without, you know, spending their evening times doing it. And, you know, the commute's the perfect time to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of our goal was to, hey, let's talk about things like, you know, garbage collection, or let's talk about what boxing means on variables or what interfaces actually do for you, that kind of thing. So it was really getting down into the nitty gritty. And that was our goal. Yeah. And it's pretty genius because we know that like taking, you know, taking a a development book, like, you know, learn JavaScript, let's say what I'm just making that up is probably a book called learn JavaScript, but (laughs) you know, take that book and turn it into an audio book. And, and guess what? It's going to be terrible. Like I, 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 I don't know how many programming books, there's probably very few programming books that have been turned into audio books, but they're just terrible. So having 
something that that instead of being a conversion from a different kind of medium, having it be direct, like, listen, we're just going to talk about programming because that's, you know, we're not, there's no conversion of medium. Um, it makes, it makes a ton of sense. And you're totally right. There's like a huge vacuum there whenever it comes to the deep programming topics. I mean, even at the level that they were at on the MS dev show, you know, there's even a little bit of a, a, a vacuum there. So that's such a great niche. Well, I mean, it's, it's fairly like we were worried when we first started, like, are we going to be able to keep coming with topics? But I mean, you guys have both programmed, you realize every day you run into roadblocks, right? And it's yep. one of those things to where as a seasoned programmer, you almost just take those and they just kind of glance off of you because you're used to it. You know, you just, you, you take those hits and you keep rolling, but you, you realize quickly when you start doing a podcast like this, like you guys, like your Azure tips of the week or, or whatever tips you guys end up mm-hmm. doing, they're fantastic. You're around them all the time. So they don't really jump out at you. But when you start thinking in terms of, Hey, what's another guy going through and these little things that you drop these water cooler conversations or these deep technical dives open up a world to people that typically may not have access to it, right? Either because they're working on one piece or whatever. So that really was the goal. And so far it seems to have worked out pretty well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So like, like we mentioned, you guys do a great job with the coding topics where you just guys go super deep on, you know, whatever it is. What is it like preparing for something like that where you really kind of have to be an expert? You can't just kind of glance at an article <laughs> like we did for the news today. Alan's like, I've, pass I've it never, off. Alan's like, I've never written a line of code. We're just winging it. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, you guys found me <laughs> Not out. Not possible. You can't, you can't fake your way through that. Uh, no, I mean, it's. It's one of those things, and you guys being that you do podcasts, you know that there's preparation for these things, right? And you guys do a more frequent show than we do. Ours tend to go between two and three weeks, and it's because there is more prep. Like, if we decide that we're going to do a show on, like, we did a JavaScript Promises one one time, right? And it's easy enough to glance over and say, hey, these are what they do. But then when you start getting down into the nuts and bolts, you really got to do some research. So, like, we spend quite a bit of time you know, leading up to when we're going to do the recording or even right before the recording, typically, you know, we'll sit down at, we'll say seven o'clock at night, but we're not recording till 10, right? Because we're trying to hammer out, iron out the the show notes or the little intricacies here and there, you know, finding more examples. So it, it's a time consuming process, but I think one that provides value, not just for our listeners, but for us, because, you know, we always find something out along the way as well. That's the, that's the biggest secret, right? Is like, you know, I, we're not doing this for the listeners. <laughs> I, like, like we're doing this for ourselves. We, I, I find it, you know, more useful being a co-host than even listening to a podcast. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. And it's a, it's a forcing function. Okay. So I have one more meta question for you and then we'll go, then we'll go less meta, you know, for people that are like, okay, stop talking about podcasting. Let's talk about some real stuff. <laughs> so in one of your episodes, you had mentioned this audio technica ATR 2100 USB mic. And this thing is fascinating to me because I don't know how they crammed the tech into this microphone, but it's, it's, it looks magical to me. And I want to hear what you have to say about it. Cause it, it is, um, it is a, a microphone that has an XLR output and a USB output for your PC. And you were talking about like, oh yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay. That's, that's kind of cool that you can use either or, and then you're like, and it does both at one time. And I, you know, my fell off my ball. <laughs> that, I was you like, need to get what? a chair with the back, Jason. Yeah. Plus it's, plus it's, yeah, it's like 52, 53 bucks on Amazon. And you said the quality is like insanely awesome on it. So, I mean, w- tell me about this thing. 
Okay, so the first, let me get to the downsides of it because there are oh, two. Geez. There's two. Okay. One, the LED light on the top of it would light up the hemisphere. All right. <laughs> so that's one. That's frustrating as all get out. The second thing is, and this seems to be Microsoft's drivers with Windows 8 and 10, which mm-hmm. is really frustrating. The volume is insanely low on it. Okay. And those are the two caveats. Now, let's go back to why it's awesome. One, yes, the <laughs> USB and the XLR output both work at the same time. It even has, if I remember right, I'd have to go look at it, but I believe it has a headphone jack on the bottom it of does, it as yeah. well. So you can get direct without lag from your computer going through the USB. You can get direct monitoring of what you're hearing through the mic at the time that you're doing it, which is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. And Honestly, so we've got a couple of YouTube videos up on coding blocks, and that's what I used. The quality is incredible. Oh, I mean, you've seen I, some samples. Perfect. Yeah, I think it's 60 bucks. If you go to youtube.com slash coding blocks, I believe that at least the last three or four videos that are up there, those are all using that thing. And I recorded directly into you know my Mac using that thing. If you're using Windows 7 or you're using a Mac, that thing is just unquestionably probably the best value out there. Because if you look for any other microphones that have mic uh, that have USB and XLR and will do both, they're usually north of $200. Yeah. And so, it's a, yeah. And it's a dynamic mic, which is amazing. That's the type of mic we use. Yep. Uh, so I, I lied before I have one more meta question then. Cause you, you <laughs> also run, you, you do so many different things, but you also do headphone reviews. Yeah, I do. Uh, well, so that's actually kind of a sore subject right now, only because I, <laughs> I. So we just had a baby this last year, and if you if you remember back to the days when you had a baby in the yeah. house, you couldn't get anything. I still done. do. Yeah, it, it's impossible, right? Yeah. Like, so it, I've actually not done anything in like six months, I think, on that. But I need to pick it back up. But yeah, I do a headphone review site. I have a site called Untethered Income. I do coding blocks. Like like I said, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Okay, so. that's starting to make that comment starting to make sense now. But yeah, you had recommended to me. I had looked at some of your reviews and I had asked you some questions, but I ended up with the Audio Technica. I think they're the M50X uh, headphones and these things. Oh my god, yeah, because you, yeah, those, those are the ones right there. So you, um you know, you were like on the video and you're just like, you know, you haven't heard music until you've heard it from these. And I'm like, okay, I got to hear this. I bought them. I'm like, holy crap. I'm like, I've never heard music before. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how like game changing these things are. And they occasionally you can pick them up for a hundred bucks, but they're normally like 150, 160. So we'll put those in the show notes, but man, if you think you might, you know, actually like music, whenever you hear it, these things are just phenomenal. And then I use them for the podcast as well. Yep, they are a killer set of headphones. Yeah. One of the best price per, per per performance that you can get. Yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to thank you for that. Carl, I got to interrupt this for just a second, and I want to talk about Infragistics. Yeah, if you comment uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our website, you have a chance to win the ultimate license from Infragistics. And this is pretty cool because it covers a lot of stuff. Um, they have controls for Android, iOS, Windows Phone, Windows 8, ASP.NET, MVC, WPF, jQuery, HTML5, just tons of stuff. And they even have stuff for Xamarin Forms. So if you're trying to hit all three major mobile platforms with one, they got controls to help you out there. If you need tabular stuff uh, with their grids, they got really cool controls to help make that look uh, just really sharp. 
charting, gauges, barcodes. It's all pretty simple using their controls. And if you just have some uh, simple prototyping needs, they have a product called Indigo Studio too. It lets you get that prototype done so you can show this to the stakeholders and you know sell your ideas. Yeah, what I love about that, you can just send them a link and they can actually navigate through the app. But uh, what, like you mentioned earlier, all of these controls across all these different platforms, this is great. I mean, most people don't just develop one type of app now. So being able to, to go and use these controls in every type of app all under one ultimate license is is really big plus. If we don't select you uh, each week, you could try again next week. And if you can't wait, they have free demos. So you can try it out for a month, download the demos and try it today. Yeah, check it out at infragistics.com. They're a free trial, so you have nothing to lose. And remember, each week, if we pick your comment on the show, you get the ultimate edition for free, which includes everything. We thank them for their support of the MS Dev Show. What are you working on uh, nowadays? So in my day job, I basically work on ext.js, I do C-sharp and SQL Server and Cube stuff. So MDX queries, which, by the way, hurt my head. Um, <laughs> but I pretty much a little bit of everything. I mean, I'm a full stack guy, and I like to stay that way because I, I don't know. I'm probably your typical dev. I kind of have ADD when it comes to this stuff, and it's nice to be able to bounce around between the different tiers. Mm-hmm. So. That's what I do during my day 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 job. And at night, man, I just mess around with everything. And part of it's because of the podcast, right? Like it's it's just open up things that you know I'll hear from somebody, hey, have you checked this out? And then it sends me down a rabbit hole. But <laughs> currently I like playing with Meteor JS, which still just blows my mind. And what I don't I'm not even familiar with that. What does it do? Oh man, it, it I'll have to point you to your YouTube video. Okay. Basically what it is, it's it's what they're you know, buzz words now are isomorphic apps. So you write your server and your client both in JavaScript. Okay. And okay. So there's lots of stuff out there that does that right now. You have no JS stuff to where you can do that. But the reason why Meteor JS is so impressive is if you've ever tried to sit down and do a total JavaScript app on the client, on the server, everywhere, after you've done setting up all your NPMs and your, and the various different packages, like you're just worn out. Yeah. Like you, you want to go take a nap. Meteor, you download it, you install it, and you start coding. And I'm not kidding you. The impressive part is you could literally have an app up and running in a couple days, less than a week, we'll say. You could have Facebook integration. You could have Twitter integration. You could have Google Plus integration. You could have all these things already linked in because of their their library, what they use with their Blaze engine. It's just mm-hmm. amazing. And in your data calls, you the world that we live in where you have a client that makes a rest call to a server and all that kind of stuff, it's so seamless. They basically have created like this copy we'll say of MongoDB on the client. And so it'll do your data synchronization for you and it'll okay. do real time updates both ways. So it sounds you like have, uh, pouch DB does that as well. Yeah. It's impressive. And, and so if you think about like your push pull type things, mm-hmm. I, I can't even think of the library for .NET right now. Um, Signal R Signal R. So that kind of thing where you have 20 people all hitting a site and they're all getting these updates concurrently, this does it for you automatically. Like it's just amazing what you can do installing, running, and then coding. You could prototype something so fast. That's very cool. Cause you know, we have good like server tools, we have good client tools, but then they, they all play this game where it's like, okay, well, 
I'm going to, and in, you know, this can be a good pattern too. Like you, you write your server and it's like, well, you know, theoretically I could have a different client that's going to talk to the same thing and the client, well, theoretically I, w- I could just want to swap out the server. Um, but this, I mean, is it tightly coupling them or is it, or is it really just making it so that they sort of work together by default? Um, but they're still following some nice standards. So they're tightly coupled. The difference is, so like when you are typically making your server stuff and your and your client code separately, you might have an MVC pattern on your server, right? Yeah. And then on your on your client, you might have an MVVM pattern. And and now you've got all these patterns that, like you said, okay, well theoretically, if we do this, and then things just get really almost confusing, and you have yeah. a lot of duplication of things. The integration that they've done with Meteor JS is so seamless. Like That's I said, cool. you go to make a request. A, a perfect example is you say that, hey, you need user information on your page. You'll basically say, just go get user information. You don't have to code that in. It knows how to do the translation to go to Mongo to get it for you. Okay. Now, that's the one thing I don't like about it is you're pretty much hitched to MongoDB. And the only reason I'm not a fan of that is the GPL licensing on it. But, mm. you know, throw that away. It's still like... A, I would venture to say that if you're trying to prototype something, it has got to be one of the most incredible tools out there to get up and running with quickly. I that, I like the the sound of that because I back in the day I was using uh, um, like back in the early Silverlight days I was I was thrown on the Silverlight project and we had to get data from the database up to the Silverlight app and I want to say it went through like four or five layers and they had it like these DTOs that were all in different formats but it was like all the same properties yep. and I kept complaining to the devs I'm like I'm like every time if I want to add one property I have to add it in five places I'm like this doesn't make sense they're like no 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 this like logically makes sense and you know like it'll be some anti-pattern if you do it some other way and it's like well, you know, I'm just wasting my time and it keeps breaking. So I'm pretty sure it's not the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah. An anti-pattern is if you can't get it to work, there's a problem, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There but you the go. other the other thing I am looking at and in, oh, I lost sleep last night because I was, I was reading <laughs> about it and learning about it, GraphQL. So okay. if you've not heard of it, so I've also been playing with React and Flux, GraphQL is amazing. And I'll tell you why real quick, because I know you have other stuff to get to, but <laughs> no, no, take it take your time. I don't understand why none of us have ever thought about this. We're so used to making API calls. So let, let's say that, you know, a, a typical order system, right? Mm-hmm. You'll make an API call to go get the order. And in some cases, maybe you'll return the order items with it and you'll figure out a way to loop through it. But a lot of times what people will do is they'll go get the order and then they'll say, okay, I have the order information. Now go get yeah. the order items. All right, now I have those. Now let's go get the Because God forbid you, you you request an extra, you know, 500 bytes and like destroy your life, right? Right. So here's <laughs> what GraphQL does that's amazing. Think about just a regular JSON object, right? You, mm-hmm. you literally have nothing more than an object. Graph is what you call it. GraphQL Instead of you have these server-side APIs, like you might have a, a an order API, right? And you're going to have this thing called get orders, which is everybody's used to with these REST calls, right? Yep. Instead of that, you make a request to the server and you give it the format of what you want. So let's say you have an object, you say order, colon, open your curly braces, and you say order detail, open curly braces, order price, quantity ordered, whatever. Whatever oh. format you give it, it gets that data, puts it all together, and returns it back in that same format. Oh, that's cool. That's amazing. Why has nobody thought about this? Well, before? so so one thing that that's sort of similar to that is, you know, whenever you're working with a, a document uh, database, you know, like uh, DocDB or even Mongo, 
Um, you know, there, there is always this like question of like, what, what should get stored in that document? And I've, you know, sort of pragmatically, it all, I sort of lean toward if I'm using a system like that, whenever I store that order, all those details, like I'm probably just going to put that in one document and throw it right. in there. Cause the like I said, you know, it, God forbid you, you pass back a little bit extra information. I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, life altering or anything like that. Uh, there's no re- really no reason to like micro optimize, but, um, but it's a tough step for, for people to take because somebody else is going to say like, well, no, I want to get the order information first. And then I want to make a decision about what I want to get. And yeah, but this is cool. Cause it seems like it's sort of the best of both. It does. It, it totally merges those two worlds. So like what you said, you throw that whole document in there. If you go to get that back out, you get that whole document in that format that you put it in, right? Mm-hmm. With what we're talking about GraphQL, you can pick it and choose what you want out of that. And if you want it nested at a layer deeper, you just tell it, hey, this is the format I want it. Oh. And it will it will translate that for you server side, bring it back. And so your your app can just use it. That's it's amazing. Cool. So I'm guessing you could you could sort of it sounds like you can even just kind of um, go through and, and keep linking to other objects, right? So you get the order, you get the order details, and then you could go probably order details to like the product then, right? Absolutely. Oh, yep. Okay. And that's the key. So basically you define, is- and, and I'm still learning this stuff, but server side, you would define your schema, right? So it's almost like a, if you think about a SQL relational database, yeah. you know, in order for you to be able to query those tables, you need to know the relationships. Yeah. Same thing for GraphQL, you define these schema relationships and then it knows how to put that stuff together. So when yeah. you request that data, it'll just put it in the order you wanted it. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. graph databases are nothing new, but just that, that concept of the way that you're requesting it. Um, yeah. And the fact that we're sort of mixing JSON with that is, that is really awesome. Yep. I like that. All right. So while you guys are talking about that, I, I was doing a little bit of link. Carl's writing an app. You know, snooping, stalking, whatever. And, and, and I noticed that you guys all have coding blocks. You guys used to work for the same employer. And at about the same time, you guys all like went to your current employer. So is there like a, some interesting story behind that? Or are you guys some sort of package? You know, what's going on? Is that what you're asking? No. <laughs> no so it, it was, it was kind of interesting. So actually it didn't all happen at the same time. So uh, one of the guys I worked for at our previous gig at Fabric, I mean, it's no it's no uh, secret. You can go on LinkedIn and see it. So we worked at Fabric.com, and my boss at the time, you know, he was over there. He was doing great things. We were making a lot of changes. And he ended up leaving the – he left that department. He went to AWS to work for them. Well, they were trying to turn him kind of into a sales type thing. And so he decided that he was going to try and switch back over. Well, in the meantime, he got this offer from this other company and decided to go. Well, Joe had actually left and gone somewhere else. And, you know, around that same time, uh, you know, my former boss was like, hey, man, you're a shoe in for what we need over here. Do you want to come do this? And so we all ended up kind of landing there. anyways (laughs) anyways <laughs> and, and i mean i guess the thing is and you guys have seen this right like when you've worked it with people for years and years you gravitate towards people that work the same way you do or have the same not necessarily skill set but you know have the same values the morals like i like to get things done mm-hmm. like that and that's why i say i'm a doer you know there's some people that want to write the most elegant beautiful code in the world you need those people but you also need the people that are on the opposite side of things that are like, hey, we need to push this forward. We need to figure out how to do it. And I kind of straddle that line. And, you know, basically, I think the reason this all worked out the way it did is because we started the podcast while we were there. We created a really great relationship. We like working with each other, that kind of thing. And so it just sort of naturally happened that way. No really big story. Just, uh, <laughs> you know, you end up 
you keep in touch with people that you've worked with over the years that you really like to work with and that you respect the way that they work. And that's kind of what happened. Okay. Carl and I know nothing about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, not at right? all. <laughs> Actually, I, I have uh, a friend of mine's coming over tonight. It's not Carl. And uh, <laughs> um, I worked with him at one, two, three. Was it through his three places? Yeah. Three different places, you know, like all in the same order. Right. Yep. <laughs> so uh, yeah, totally, totally understand. Networking's uh, big. Yeah. So you were, you were recently uh, on coding blocks. You had an episode uh, covering developer tools, which was pretty cool. And by tools, I think you meant like hardware, software, whatever, like anything would go. Um, I know you all had your own picks, but you know, kind of after finishing that episode and you even got to hear some of the, you know, your co-host picks as well. Um, you know, like what, what are some of your top tool recommendations? And it doesn't have to be the five that you had on the show. Um, just kind of, what are, what are the big things that maybe people haven't heard of? Uh, so here was the thing outlaw totally stole my number one pick, which was WebStorm, And, <laughs> and the thing is for, I think it's now 60 bucks that they've, they've changed the licensing on JetBrains. But okay. honestly, if you want to get into any kind of web with JavaScript framework development, there's probably not a better tool out there for the price. So WebStorm is definitely high on my list. Uh, depending on what kind of visual studio, I think is just kind of, you know, unfair to say, I mean, it's, it's a killer IDE, you know, it just gets better with every single revision. It's one of the reasons why I like programming in C sharp so much. It's, it's a pleasure to work in, right? It's some of the best tooling around, um, formatting SQL. If somebody gives me a blob of SQL, it makes my eyes go crazy. So one of the things that I really like, Notepad++ is a very popular Notepad replacement that's kind of for developers, I'd say, on Windows. And there's a plugin for it called Poor Man's T-SQL Formatter. And it's um, excellent. You can throw in just garbage and say, format this, and it will spit out this beautiful string of SQL. That's all, right, all right. So I'm going to have to stop you right there because that was one of my dev tips of the week this week. You, you, read, you read my – Oh, man. Yeah, hey, you cheater. Oh, he didn't have access to the notes, though. You so. He didn't no. that. You hacker. <laughs> no. So <laughs> so just just to expound upon that, not only is the, the website great at PoorSQL.com, but it's got a plug-in for SQL Server Management Studio and a plug-in for Notepad++. What about VS Code? You know what? It's you know it'll be there by the time the show is up. I'm sure of it. <laughs> okay, because that's people on... are just adding plugins for that. I guess I don't right. do I don't I don't do T SQL these days. But uh, yeah, I, 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 have you ever Alan? Have you ever tried VS Code? I I have not actually installed that thing yet, only I, because I've got too many other things going on, and it's one of those things that will just distract me. Again, my ADHD will just kick in, and I'll never get anything done. Yeah. Well, and but, if you like WebStorm, like you you probably. You, you probably would lose things going to VS code, just being honest right now, because the extension model in VS code is relatively new. Um, but I just keep an eye out. It's a, I think it's a longer term contender. It keeps getting better and better. And um, I love it. And p other people that use it, I know, love it as well. Well, so I'm actually wanting to do like a Pluralsight video. And I might use that because really what I want to do is I want to create some sort of, you know, how to or video where the tools aren't going to be expensive and there's no barrier to entry, right? And that's actually one of my favorite things about C Sharp with version or, well, ASP.NET version five coming out is it no longer will be, right? Like you don't have to be, you'll have to be on Windows to develop it, but then you can put it anywhere, right? You can put it on a Linux box or whatever using the core runtime. So you don't, you don't have to be on Windows to develop it. Uh, Okay, but you can't use Visual Studio. You can use VS Code. Will it actually do the compile stuff and, and all the auto completion? 
the there's IntelliSense? No, there's no there's no compiling, and yes, it will do the IntelliSense. Oh, see, when mm-hmm. it first came out, it wasn't it didn't have those features. No, it's using um, what is it called? OmniSharp. Oh, well, I mean, it's also using Rosin, but it's using so OmniSharp essentially runs as a as a service in the background, um, and it's basically a, an IntelliSense um, service, and then the IDEs tap into that. Oh, cool. um, so, so VS code is able to get IntelliSense for, for .NET and also Node.js and things like that. Um, and now actually we had an entire episode on this. Um, it works with PowerShell as well. So you can get IntelliSense for, for, actually, was that in, uh, I don't know if that's in VS code yet. Yes, it is. Oh, that's what it was that, for specifically. Yeah, it was for but, uh, VS code. The team just announced uh, that the next uh, update to that extension, there's yeah. going to be a button in VS code to open it in PowerShell ISE. Nice. So you can go back and forth. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to download it now. You've- yeah, so you can you could be you could be on a Mac and be developing um, an ASP.NET five application. I think you'd feel relatively at home if you were trying to migrate it from an old version. Like I think your life is going to be terrible because you're going to have the old XML project format and all that stuff. That's, you know, honestly just a bit dated, but if you are starting a brand new ASP.NET five application, um, I think life is going to be pretty good. Um, you're going to have, um, you know, you're not going to be too out in the woods on your own. You're going to have your IntelliSense and then, I mean, there's no, there's no quote unquote compiling, so, you know, just navigating to the address and, and running it is, is you know, is going to be pretty seamless. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I saw in the uh, show notes on on my favorite, like, things, I had the R7000 router. Yeah. And I saw Carl has the R8000. Man, <laughs> I can't tell you. So I, I did research, and that was one of the ones that was in the running, but the star ratings on Amazon weren't as high or new. Egg. Well, and you that, probably found that the AC routers are like that. Like, there's no clear winner. Well, the no. R7000 was the only one that seemed to get consistently good reviews. And okay. it, it is probably, I mean, if you've ever had a router. Well, that is that, pretty good. Yeah. Four and a half reviews or four and, four and a half reviews, four and a half stars. <laughs> 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 I left half a review. Right. But yeah, I mean, that thing has been, I, since I've plugged it in, I've not had to even think about it. And that to me is worth its price of admission. So so I've been uh, happy with mine. Think of, are there any other tools? Yeah. I bought a I bought a TP Link AC nineteen hundred, and it actually what well, I think it was like one hundred and thirty bucks. I'm looking it up right now, like what it is. Um, let's see here. So it looks like it has four point one stars. Um, I'm trying to get the current price, but I've actually been extremely impressed by this thing. Uh, uh, it's two hundred one dollars now. What the heck is going on? Did I pay more than what you guys paid? <laughs> okay, we'll go with your pick because yours <laughs> yours has a better rating and costs less money. So. Yeah, I have so no idea what, what I liked about. about the R8000 though is it had um, a better range, and right where we have to put ours in the house for at least the time being, we we needed that extra range to hit uh, the bedroom upstairs. Plus, it just looks and cool. And the other thing is, it made us, it, you know, uh, yeah, it looks flipping awesome. It looks like <laughs> an Android insect of some sort. Um, but really the other does. thing is the way that they do their uh, the multiple Wi-Fi's is um, it's really awesome because I put one of the 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 Wi-Fi that all our kids' equipment is on, I have that automatically turn off at night. So, like, whenever I want to, I can turn off the internet just for our kids. Can you have as many um, um, nice? A, a, um, what the heck do you call them? Am, uh, the IDs. Can you have as many of networks? those as you want? Well, not networks. Yeah. Well, I mean, a wireless network. I ID. think you can have three. Okay. You, you, that's what I have in mind. You, you can have three SSIDs. SSIDs. As well that's as, what I was looking for. In addition to three guest ones. 
Oh, wow. So you can have three SSIDs with a matching nice. three guest IDs. Because I have an AC one, I have a regular one, a non-AC one, and then I have a guest network. Um, but I just, I want, I want, yeah, if I could have six, that's pretty cool. Because I want to have just some that are just names out there too for my neighbors to see. Because my neighbor, like always, he like rotates through like Doctor Th- Doctor Who <laughs> characters, <laughs> so I I can't compete with him because I don't want to keep changing my name awesome. and having to like reassociate all my devices. <laughs> but yeah, this thing looks really really right. cool. Okay, oh man, I'm not in the market for this though. Don't stop doing this. Um, I want to get one for no reason now. <laughs> uh, yeah, anything else, Alan, on your list, your tool uh, list? I like WinMerge a lot. I know a lot of people are fans of Beyond Compare. I like WinMerge. Well, WinMerge that's is free, right? Beyond Compare across comparison money. tool. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that's a good one. Uh, I'm trying to think. What else did I have in my picks? I, I know that uh, I had Simple Mind. You had, you had Code on here. I, I'd have to give them a shout out because, yeah, Code Academy is excellent. I mean, if you want to learn for free it, mm-hmm. and do it well, that's that is an excellent option, but okay. yeah, I mean, I, I can't think any more off the top of my head, but there's, there's a lot of good ones out there. Okay. Very cool. All right. So, so I, I thought I'd throw in a, I'd throw in a pick that kind of relates to you and your podcast with being kind of, you started off doing like a lot of design patterns and a book that I've had on my desk. Unfortunately, it's actually not on my desk today, but you know, that's not, there's another story <laughs> behind liar, that. Carl. Is the uh, design, a uh, C sharp 3.0 design patterns. It's a book that covers just tons of design patterns and gives C sharp 3.0 examples for them. And uh, we're talking like, you know, the memento pattern, the iterator pattern, the, you know, just, you know, all the good ones that you've talked about and more, there's like probably like 30, 40 of them in there. Um, It it describes them, describes why you'd use them, when you would use them, you know, all the stuff that you're looking for in a design patterns book. So that's something I keep at my desk, you know, 90% of the time at least. And I think is worth picking up. And if you don't pick up that one, pick up any design pattern book. I think those are just really good. Once you know those, they're good any language you choose. Cool. Carl, you got another question? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm totally spacing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of our show. <laughs> we should take it out. Yeah. So yeah, recently you guys did a series on the 12 factor app. Um, we don't have, you know, six hours to spend on it. Like you guys went into detail on, but you know, I was wondering, uh, you know, what were some of the, you know, the big things, you know, kind of go over what it is and, you know, you know, what are the big takeaways from the 12 factor app? And and every time I see this, it looks like 12 factor off, which, <laughs> <laughs> which would be terrible, but it's 12 factor app, which, uh, which is pretty cool. Okay. Go. Yeah. So it, the reason why we, we ended up going this route is First off, it's made for Heroku apps. Like this, this was based off that. So there's very environment specific type things that they had in mind when they made this, but they have a lot of just really useful ways of looking at how you do your code and what you should consider when you're writing apps, especially scalable apps, because that's really what it was targeted at. And so that's why we wanted to go down that route and discuss it. I mean, it's kind of gotten, it's been around for a few years, but for whatever reason, it's picked up popularity recently. Yeah. So that's kind of why we went that route. But um, do you want to go through each one and just like a quick uh, brief synopsis? Well, so I guess what, when I did a search for it, I found um, uh, 12 factor apps in plain English. And, and like I read through it, and I didn't realize it was like, you know, Heroku based originally. Uh, but I looked through it. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. You know, I was kind of like, 
Yeah, these all make sense. And I, you guys spent at least a couple episodes on this, right? I don't know how many. Did you four? Two, four episodes. Four episodes, We've four probably, episodes yeah, like, worth of this. So this is. Yeah. It's worth talking about, but maybe maybe you just kind of skim through that, and and if there's anything that you think is particularly important, let us know. Like, what should we really yeah. be looking at in this list? So I think the very first one, code base, was one of the ones that I thought jumped out was the fact that. Every code base should be tracked in a repository, whether it be Git or, you know, TFS, whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. that should be tracked and it should be a one-to-one correlation between the app and the code base. Because a lot of times you'll see where people will just keep piling on into an application, right? Even though it's really a separate thing that you're doing, they'll just keep throwing it into the same code base. And this made the distinction of, hey, an app should be its own repo. Yeah. And that that was a big one. Uh, bring dependencies along. So don't don't assume that anything exists where you're putting your application. Uh, that one was interesting because if you guys remember with the GAC and .NET, like it, you ran into all kinds of things, right? You assume that something runs the server, they upgrade the server, and all of a sudden your dependencies are gone and your app doesn't work. Yeah, this causes uh, me some headaches even to this day because not not the GAC, but like with Node.js, how the packages are included, and you can you can uh, do something that they call uh, shrink wrap, right? You can shrink wrap your app where you say like, hey, this app. Uh, this version of this app needs these specific versions of these dependencies. But what ends up happening is those dependencies are on typically on other servers. And I've been bitten by this where I go to deploy my application and like one of the servers is down or whatever, and it can't pull down that particular package. And then it just doesn't, it doesn't work, but this is good advice overall for sure. Absolutely. And I love the fact that .NET uh, version five, they they've gone towards this, right? right. Like instead Package of automatically problem. including a bunch of stuff, you, you tell it, Hey, what are my dependencies? And and you yep. take it along and you ship it. So that's one thing that I liked. Uh, number three was config. Basically any kind of connections or anything that you have, make sure that those are config set. So if you need to change that, you know, a server goes down, you don't have to redeploy your app. You just change the config. And typically they say that you want to keep those in environment variables, which if you think about it, makes a lot of sense, right? You can set those up on the server. Nobody even has to know about them. And really only privileged access people should be able to get to them. Yep. The the key takeaway on this one for me was it should never, ever, ever make it into your source code. And one of the quotes we had heard at one point was, if you open sourced your app today, is there anything in the code base that you wouldn't want to be public? And so you should think about your configs like that. That is, that is a perfect test because I've actually gone through and like all this old stuff I've worked on, I've, I've tried to open source all of it and I've had to go through and like, even like common passwords, I've had to do like a search <laughs> yep, and to see like, you know, okay, did I use this password here or search for the word password, search for the name user pass, you know, those things. And yeah, just don't do it from the start because it's not fun to clean it up. Yep. So that one was interesting. I thought that made a lot of sense. Another was backing services. So that was number four. One of the things that that I did like about that is any backing services, a database or a mail server, web services, anything kind of thing that you're using that's external to your app, uh, you should be able to, you know, hook up a URL to those or some sort of call. Um, Build, release, run. That's fairly simple. Your build converts your stuff into an executable. When you release it, you're basically merging that executable with your config. And then the running is whatever environment that's on. Run it, make sure it works. Uh, Processes was kind of interesting. That was number six. That's basically stateless and share nothing. Mm -hmm. So the interesting thing here is with a Heroku app, you're, you're considering, or at least with this, you're considering scaling, right? And you can only scale vertically so far, meaning on the same hardware. But... 
if you make your application stateless to where you don't have sessions, then you can spin up a hundred servers if you need to. Yep. Right. So that is something that I think a lot more people need to think about is getting away from having, you know, things that your app required to go back to a page or something. Right. If you have a session there, then you're broke if you need to scale. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, number seven was port binding. This one was kind of interesting. Basically, if you need, if your app is exposing services, then they need to be bound on a port so that other things can consume them. So that was kind of interesting. It's a nice way to Sorry, look at Does things. that mean you're configuring what port it's on at sort of at runtime? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. You, can, you can define in your app what things can connect to okay, it and how. So kind of interesting. Uh, concurrency, this one, this was number eight on their 12 factor. And, and this one was kind of interesting as well from the perspective that they're saying that the app should not know anything about how processes are handled. That should all be done from the OS. So if you need to spin up or you need multiple things running this app, the app doesn't need to worry about it. There's, there's process managers, especially on Linux and the places where Heroku apps run to where you can manage that for you. And so your app should be about what your app does and not trying to manage server resources. Uh, Disposability was number nine. This one I actually feel needs a little bit more attention in most everybody's applications. Mm -hmm. Basically, the whole idea is you start and you stop fast and gracefully. So if you have a colossal failure, something else should be able to pick it back up. And a lot of ways that these things are done nowadays are through queues which probably a lot of developers are used to just procedural programming, not actually using cubes queues. We typically just go straight to the database or whatever. So it's a different way of thinking, but it's also like, you know, if you're working for the New York stock exchange, this is something that's important to you. Right. So that one was pretty interesting. Uh, guys, just stop me if I'm, if I'm going, <laughs> no, this is perfect. This is perfect. Um, dev prod parity. This one, I also have a strong feeling about, like, I feel like this should be, almost consistently done. So it, we see this a lot in our .NET apps where, you know, the server's running IIS version, whatever, and you're running the IIS Express on your local machine. Mm-hmm. There's going to be differences, subtle yeah. as they may be, and maybe few and far between, but all of a sudden you ship something to production and it doesn't work, but it worked perfectly on yours and everybody else's. Uh, you know, there was this one setting that nobody knew about, right? So Having your your environments set the same is huge. Yeah, test what you use, use what you test. Absolutely, they call it eating your own dog food, right? Like mm-hmm. try and get it out there. Uh, the other thing too is reduce the amount of time between your releases. Try and keep your development and your production environments in parity as much as possible, yeah. because the further that time creep goes, the more chances that you're going to have problems when you actually do your next deployment, right? And it's going to be harder to figure out. You know, if it's three months since your last deployment, there's probably a lot of changes in there. Yeah. And then personnel. And I've found this one to be true too, which is kind of interesting. The person who did the development on the code, whether it's two or three people or four, they should probably also be a part of that release because if something goes wrong, they're intimately familiar with that area of the code. You know, they will probably be able to diagnose it faster because a lot of times it's quicker to roll forward than it is to roll back. So that one's kind of interesting. Logs, number 11. These should be treated as streams of events. They shouldn't be like a truth for anything. This is from all the processes that are in your application. Mm -hmm. These things should just be, you know, a timestamp and maybe a little bit of information about what happened. Uh, A lot of people try to log too much. Some people don't log enough. And it's hard to go back and figure out what happened. 
Uh, well, I, what I like is whenever you have um, control at runtime over the logging verbosity. I think that's that's the best of both in my mind because you have just enough to to sort of isolate the issue and then you crank it up in the areas that you need to crank it up in. That's that's a pretty cool take on that. So one of, going back to one of the other factors, they say these things should be config based, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you wanted to turn up the verbosity, right? Like you wanted to go from info to uh, trace or whatever, you can set that in the config. You don't have to redeploy the app. So that's, that's a really good point. Now here's one of the interesting parts of that kind of conflicts with the way that we do things in .NET and maybe even some other languages is they say you should use standard out and standard error. And you don't really do that too much in .NET. Like if you use log for net or something like that, you typically define that in your config file, like where it's going to write, whether it's to the console or the database or both. Or Or to logforstuff.com. Log for stuff. Oh, please. Really? Are yeah. you serious? Yeah, I mean that. <laughs> no, the, the, the point was for these cloud applications when you have a whole bunch of different pieces, um, you basically add, I, I, I built a custom log for net appender, but you can also just use the UDP appender. You just send it all to my site and then it'll just interleave those and it uses signal R to show you a real time view. Oh, that's cool. I mean, it's not like some super advanced service or anything. It was something that, you know, I have a couple hours into it, but it's still useful. That's awesome. Yeah. I built it for myself, but it's out there. Excellent. I'll have to look that up. Yeah. And then uh, the last one was admin processes. And and I've seen this like with credit card processing or things like that. You have this, this piece of code that was deployed a year and a half ago and that code base has since changed. And again, this, this almost goes back to number one where you should have each app as its own repository. Mm -hmm. But so you should run everything as a one-off process. And the reason you do that instead of having these complicated installs or whatever is they're they're more fragile, right? And you can't scale with them. If you have this thing set up to where you can scale out, you can have this run on 50 servers or 100 or 200. So that's kind of interesting. And then the other thing is you keep the task with the code. So if you are going to be running every hour, that should be part of your code. You know exactly how this thing's going to run. Now, again, a lot of these things are just concepts that were really cool to go with. And they don't necessarily map one-to-one with everybody's development environment, but there's a lot of things that, that just make sense as a developer as to how you should go about doing these things. Cool. Well, thank you for walking us through those because I, I think they're useful. These are good lessons that I think everybody should at least you know, run through. Actually, they should go listen to coding blocks. <laughs> if <laughs> you the, want to your four part dash? series. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely go in into crazy detail on those. Yeah. I think I'm going to go back and listen to those four. I'm actually very interested in that because for cloud applications, this stuff is pretty essential. Yes. It's excellent. Yeah. So another thing that you guys had talked about on, on your podcast is, um, I, I can't remember which one you mentioned, but it was hacking pages to bend them to your will. <laughs> Yeah. And I, so I, it was funny because I, I was, as you guys were talking, I'm like, oh man, I've totally done this so many times. Like I fixed broken pages and, and um, I don't even know if I should say this one, but I, I ordered a pizza one time. Uh, for the team and, and they restricted the times that you could get it delivered. Like it was, it was in different increments and I had just passed one of those increments. Uh, so I just, you know, I just, uh, uh, you know, did the right click and spacked and I changed it so that I could get it at the exact minute that I wanted the pizza. And, uh, they didn't have any server validation. It was all client. So I ordered the pizza and even the receipt, whenever it showed up, it said deliver at this time. And it was not a valid option for a time, but I, <laughs> I got my pizza at that time. 
<laughs> so I was just wondering if you had any good examples of that or if, if you think we're, we're crazy and actually no, no. Carl and Carl had an example too. So go well, it, yeah. well my, my, mine is a little bit less bending it to your will, but like, <laughs> so my, my, my local city that I live in, I live in a town of 1100 people. So it's huge, right? Sprawling. And, uh, our, our local website for the village just looked crappy, but I was like showing my wife, like, like 10 lines of CSS would totally clean this up. And I just did it in the developer tools and she totally freaked out. She's like, do they know that you changed their website? <laughs> do, do you have permission for that? Carl, you're such a hacker. I know. Right. <laughs> but it just shows like, you know, even though that's built in and it's nothing to us, you know, people don't understand that that aren't from our, uh, our field. Yeah. No, there, there's so many little things like that. And totally, I, I've done the same thing. Like you go to a website and they try to hide everything from you by throwing a mask over the page. I'm like, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I know. I know. <laughs> Gone. Yeah. It's yeah. Give me, give me about five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and like Joe uh, on our podcast, he had actually said something about, you know, he'll go to an order site, like a little yeah. pop shop and the, and the order page is broken. And I'm like, <laughs> Wait a second. You actually feel like that's a good idea to fix a broken order page? Like, I mean, how's that? That doesn't even make sense to me. But well, you know. in his defense, like how many order pages are not broken? I mean, that's a good man. Point. You know, Carl, like we'll put this in the notes or something like we need we need to have an episode on like how to build an order page because, oh, my God, like <laughs> I, I, I guarantee everybody listen to the show like you just. I, I just know I like my spidey senses start tingling. Like I, I know like, Oh, I, I filled out this information and I know if I click this button, it's about to lose everything that I just typed in. Right. 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 Um, like it's just terrible or it's, they're just, that, that whole thing is just terrible. Like if you can just do, do not reinvent that. Like there, there must be something, some kind of thing out there that you can use. So we need to have an episode on that and just save the world, like one order <laughs> process at a time. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, we totally ethically hack websites to, to bend them to our will <laughs> Yeah, to forcefully, you know, give them money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Please take it. I want that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Um, Very cool. Okay, so let's get into, let's see, what do we got next here? Azure Pick of the Week, is that right? Okay, let's get into the Azure Pick of the Week. Uh, Service Fabric Party Clusters is my pick of the week. This is so cool. Uh, so if you want to throw a party, no, that's actually not right. Uh, what this is, is uh, we, I know I've talked about Service Fabric before. It's kind of, it's sort of a Docker-ish type of thing, but there's a whole bunch of other cool capabilities. We had an entire episode on it uh, with Mark Fussell, if you want to go back and listen to that. Uh, but one of the complex uh, things about service fabric is actually just setting up a cluster um, because it's a big distributed compute thing. Well, what they've done now is they have this page out here and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but basically there's all these clusters out there that just expire on a regular basis and they sort of rotate through, but you can just join one of these clusters and deploy your applications to it. What, do you, what is that? I have three minutes. You have three minutes. All right. All right. <laughs> okay. So that was it for party clusters. <laughs> so check I, it out. I wasn't trying to interrupt you. Please don't stop on my bath. <laughs> I was like, is he giving me the finger? <laughs> okay, right. Carl, what do you got for the dev tip of the week? So luckily we had multiple since my poor man's T-SQL formatter was already taken. But uh, we got a, a tip from uh, Christopher Demicoli uh, at C-H-R-I-D-E-M-I. And he said, here's a page that has all of the Visual Studio 2015 keyboard shortcuts on it. And not only that, but there's a link to a channel nine video on how he went on, uh, not him, but whoever authored this page collected all the shortcuts. Cause it was actually did it programmatically. I like that. So that's a cool video that. to check out as well. And then I found one here. It's called uh, power mode. 
Explosion Studio Power Mode. Uh, so this is a Visual Studio extension that makes it so that every time you type a character, like there's a mini explosion in your uh, in your IDE. Um, if you're if you're not doing this, you're really missing out. Like this is the only way to code. Uh, yeah, once this adds this adds a lot of enjoyment. <laughs> once you do this, like you'll know. This this really like. This this just it represents how important every character you type really is with a with a little mini explosion. Okay, so we have two minutes, so I am gonna do the question game because we just have to do that, otherwise people are gonna yell at me. Okay, so really quick, pick a number between one and four. 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 Would you rather never again be able to celebrate the winter holidays or never again be able to celebrate your birthday? My birthday. You know, <laughs> I'm just still twenty one. sounds good to me okay so where can people find you online uh you can find me at www.codingblocks.net that's you know head over there check out the podcast and twitter is probably where i'm the most active socially so you can head over there or codingblocks.slack.com go over there and check us out there and that's that's pretty much it for my online stuff okay and we'll have all the rest of your stuff in the uh, in the show notes carl where can people find you you can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me at YTechie.com or on Twitter at Twitter.com slash YTechie. So, Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about a whole bunch of different things. Uh, it was really good. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, people that are interested in coding blocks, go check that out. But, yeah, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, guys, love your show. Thanks for having me on. Uh, as a matter of fact, I really liked your last responsive design one. That was an excellent episode, too. So, Yeah. Oh, and happy belated birthday, Carl. I caught that on that one as well. So, yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, guys.